0: Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at Ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's Ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off.
1: One of my Christmas wishes was for serious advancement in mental health care services.
0: Today we talk about what this might mean and how we can move forward. This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance.
1: As always, thanks for joining us for another episode, and um, we wanted to tell everybody again that you can go to paintsoupoliticsshow.com and order t-shirts. We just got a new shipment, or become um, a regular supporter of the show by subscribing for as little as the cost of a cup of coffee a month or um, a one-time donation. It really helps cover the cost of Suit Politics, and we really, really appreciate it.
0: Sarah, I thought that we could start talking in the pearls today about this controversy with John Lewis and Donald Trump.
1: So I actually got to meet John Lewis when we were at the Democratic National Convention. It felt like I was shaking hands with history. To state the obvious, it is ignorant and insulting to accuse a man with literal scars from having his skull shattered during civil rights protests, walking alongside Martin Luther King, to call him all talk and no action. I feel like, I, I think that this, John Lewis knew what he was doing. I don't think John Lewis gives two shits what Donald Trump thinks about him. And I think Donald Trump is just using this as like deflection, like total distraction, as always, from the fact that he's not divesting in his companies appropriately. Like he has all these ethics violations. No one's coming to his inauguration, like all this stuff. That's what I think.
0: I have nothing but respect for Representative Lewis and no fight with his statements or decisions to do whatever he wants to do, right? This mm-hmm. is an American civil rights icon and a person who deserves a much better treatment than what he's received from the president elect and I really don't understand Donald Trump's knee jerk reaction to every city that has black people in it must be a terrible inner city like no money, lots of crime. Like I yeah. I just I feel like his
1: It's like watching bad
0: 80s movies all the time or something. Yeah, it's such a caricature, and I I really just find that frustrating. I also wonder why there isn't any fight that he won't pick. This just seems like such a no-brainer. Half the country wouldn't even know that John Lewis isn't attending the inauguration but for this reaction.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, and it's just – I do will say this. I do enjoy the fact that John Lewis's – book March, which is really cool. It's like a trilogy graphic novel is currently sold out. So that, you know, that's a positive upside that more people are going to engage with that material. And I was really disappointed that Rand Paul went on the morning shows and was like, well, he's not immune to criticism. That is true. John Lewis is not immune to criticism. What he is immune to is the criticism that he is all talk into action. Again, literal skull fracture scar, immunizes you to all talk, no action criticism. Feel pretty strongly about that.
0: I thought Rand Paul's point was more, you can disagree with John Lewis's comments without attacking him personally. Yes. Yeah. But I just thought the immune to criticism, I was like, no he's
1: arguing that, dude. Like, that's not the point. But I I agree. It was a nuanced. He was taking a semi-nuanced position, but I disagree with the less nuanced part.
0: I do think that we need to be... Cautious, And and again, I take no issue with what John Lewis has said or is doing for him. For me, I worry about talking about the legitimacy of our president. So casually, because I do think democracy is fragile. I found myself agreeing with David Axelrod's comments about this. Like, that is a very serious thing to say. It is a very big deal to question legitimacy of our election. It's also spoiler exactly what Russia intends when it does this kind of interference in different countries. And so I can imagine a reality where the Russian objective was not necessarily to elect Trump as much as to have this kind of personal vendetta that it seems Putin has with Hillary Clinton Mm -hmm. and to be disruptive. And to that end, congratulations. I mean, mission accomplished, right? The fact that we are having an open season discussion in our country about the legitimacy of our presidential election, that is a very, very big deal.
1: Right. But I I just I always try to walk the line like I don't but I also don't want to be a cheerleader just to cheerlead our processes. If they are so flawed that they are so vulnerable to this type of attack, and to a situation in which Donald mm, Trump can be our president, then they are not as strong as we thought they are, and we need to talk about that,
0: instead of just propping up the strongness of the, you know, do you see what I'm saying? It, it makes complete sense, and I think you're right, that that is a fragile balance between understanding that our democracy is, is fragile, and is a big deal, and that we have to be mindful of what we're talking about, but also be open to exploring those vulnerabilities. And I think the difference for me is while I 100 percent believe that Russia interfered in our election, I don't yet see evidence that that interference was outcome determinative in a way that suggests that our entire electoral process was compromised. Now, yeah, I that's, that, that's an
1: important distinction, I think.
0: I think it is, too. And, and i that's where I think that we have to exercise care and and continue to be really specific and cautious with our language when we're talking about this but certainly the response to John Lewis is not well you're kind of a do-nothing dude anyway I mean I just am really I really really hate the way that President-elect Trump chose to meet that criticism I thought you were going to say
1: behaves, which I thought was an appropriate criticism, but I guess your more nuanced response is probably better.
0: (laughs) Thank you for uh, accepting my measured response. Yeah. I mean, I just
1: said behaves, but that's
0: fine too. We're recording this on Martin Luther King Day. I wondered if you have a favorite speech from Dr. King that you wanted to talk about on the show today.
1: Beth and I went to college together, and when we were in college, we had this foundation of liberal arts class and i think it was made was it the first letter from birmingham jail the first thing we read or was it just one of the many things we read
0: i think it was one of the first i, I feel know like it was too i was just talking to my husband about how we read handmaid's tale very early on yes, he's reading i feel it like now. i need to
1: reread that soon because the tv show but letter from birmingham jail i think is it's so good and it's so foundational of like it feels like the you know the ground upon which all his other speeches was built and some I was at a Martin Luther King day luncheon today hosted by our NAACP and the speaker made such a good point which I'd never thought about which is that he was he had a newspaper and a pen and he's referencing all these historical figures and scripture just from his memory it's not like he was like googling why he wrote that letter you know and it's unbelievably sort of sourced for somebody who was just in a jail cell by themselves
0: oh that is an interesting point It is Mm -hmm. a beautiful piece of writing. My new favorite for um, Martin Luther King Jr. speeches is his Nobel Prize acceptance speech from Oslo. Mm. There is a part in it where he talks about refusing to accept the idea that the, quote, isness of man's present nature makes him morally incapable of reaching up for the eternal oughtness that forever confronts him. I think that is so beautiful. And the paragraph in which that sentence falls, I just think is so lovely and powerful and feels so relevant to me right now. So um, at least this year, my favorite Martin Luther King Jr. speech is his Nobel Peace Prize acceptance speech. So we'll link both of those in the show notes. So we want to move on to compliment the other side.
1: I have a reader submitted one, um, which is the New House leader in texas who was elected unanimously which is sort of cool and um, joe strauss and he came out and again in texas said not 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 the state you expect to hear this coming from basically like compromise is not a dirty word and we have to work together and i was just very impressed by his approach to legislative leadership so good job joe strauss from texas
0: I was very impressed by Diane Feinstein this week. She was on Meet the Press, one of my favorites. She was so, as my friend Tracy said, senatorial on this mm. program. She was so calm. She was decisive when it was called for. She was asking questions when she didn't know something. You know, she she was not she was not feeding into the tendency that I feel most of our politicians have had for too long now of just storytelling. Mm. She was there as a person who is vigorously pursuing the facts of what's happening on our foreign policy right now. And just the facts. Right. It, it wasn't in any way about feeding some narrative that was in her mind. And I just was so impressed with her and also reassured by her. I felt like she, in the strongest possible terms, said, we will get to the bottom of this. We will make sure every question is answered. We will look at all sides, and we will act accordingly. And it was exactly the kind of demeanor that I really value in elected officials. So thank you, Diane Feinstein.
1: She's also just a baller, but that's... (laughs) That's a less subtle take on her. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain Plus, free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com help, slash pantsuit. Terms and conditions apply. So the spotlight team still exists. It's still like an investigative journalist unit within the Boston Globe. And they recently, their focus was mental health within um, Boston and Massachusetts. It's really powerful reporting. And a part of that reporting was a piece on San Antonio. And a listener sent us to this. And it was so good about what San Antonio does right. They're sort of like a national leader on mental health care. And so um, I highly recommend it. It's definitely going to be informing a lot of what I say in this episode. So check out the spotlight team's coverage.
0: And I want to thank Debbie Cohen, our listener who helped us put together a primer on this topic. I thought that Debbie's insights were really important and it was super generous of her to share her expertise in this area with us. So I don't know where you want to start, Sarah. I think that my conclusion from working with Debbie on the primer was first that part of the reason mental health services are so inadequate today is because they really have just grown out of our desire to deal with poverty mm. instead of really understanding mental health as its own discipline. Traditionally, does that make sense? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I mean, I think that it go to me, you have to sort of take the historical view as well we were simultaneously not understanding mental health, and also the little understanding we did have we're not, was not, we're not was not treating it properly. So, you know, in the 70s, we had these mental health institutions that people could be institutionalized against their will, and you had, like, you know, 50s housewives getting electroshock the- therapy because they didn't like being a housewife, and that was all bad. No doubt about that. But then we sort of overcorrected in my opinion and shut everything down and either sent people to the streets or usually to prison. And now as people are having like a shifting understanding of criminal justice reform and the fact that incarcerating people is not the answer um, which is true and we should most certainly find a way to release nonviolent offenders from prison. The problem is we don't really have a good solution for when they get out. So I think that because our, uh, and this is something we talked a lot about at Vox Conversation um, about this the, the overlap between criminal justice issues, mental health issues, drug abuse, um, our understanding of mental health. So it's just such a complicated mix of stakeholders and issues poverty, healthcare, criminal justice, liberty itself. When should we restrict someone's freedom? Based on mental health issues, I mean, this is something we have to have an honest conversation with. I was at a meeting with our mental health, one of our mental health professionals in town, and and spotlight talk. The spotlight reporting talks about this. Like, we have to find a an, a, a real way to address the fact that you, if somebody's thought processes are disordered, then giving them complete decision making power is probably not the best approach because their thought process are. Disordered, so their decision-making processes are not going to be strong, and you know. But I, we, it makes everybody uncomfortable, and we decided we weren't going to do that anymore. Commit people against their will, and I, again, I think that it's just it's all these layers of issues, both personal, societal, um, community. It's such a big, big thing, and so that's why I think San Antonio is so encouraging because they have found a way to knit together all these different stakeholders, be it the police, they, they have these amazing like plainclothes, mental health trained um, officers who show up and don't, you know, don't escalate the issue and treatment facilities, government run facilities and the way they're sort of all knit together is really amazing, particularly because uh, San Antonio is dealing with so much mental health issues regarding their um, military population, which is really high. And it's just it was It it offered me such hope because I know how complicated and layered this is that there had there's been a community that's been able to take apart these pieces and put them into a holistic approach.
0: What's been the driving force behind that in San Antonio?
1: Like one guy, which is problematic because he's about to retire. (laughs) But Well, I mean, I think it started within the way they describe it is like a big thing. You because know, homelessness is obviously a huge component of mental health services, and like part of the thing was like they built this beautiful river walk, and they had homeless people living in it all the time, and they were like, "Well, I don't want this." So the city leaders were like, "Okay, figure it out. Figure it. we don't care what it is, but we want these homeless people out of our pretty river walk." And so um, they had this one guy, and I forgot what he did beforehand. He was a, um, a, a maybe a bureaucrat from another approach, and he and he just said like, "Okay, we're going to have to like build from the ground up and figure out what is." going on and in sort of in the spotlight team talks about this like what they learned in massachusetts is you know there's poor conditions in the institutions the law enforcement escalates the issues there's not a lot of options for care and so people would fall through the holes in the system and i think this guy's approach was really about where are the holes what is going on okay when they get into jail then what happens when we decide what if if we get so let's train the police officers okay when the police officers decide This is a mental health component. Where do they send those people? What's the follow up? Do they have mentors? Like, it's just a very comprehensive, instead of everybody sort of like pushing them off into somebody else and like dusting off their hands and being like, not my problem anymore. Everybody's around the table making sure people are funneled properly.
0: That's awesome. I think that Mm -hmm. sounds like a a real blueprint for other communities as well. I mean, I I do think a struggle that I have with this topic is what is the appropriate allocation of resources? And that's not because I don't want to spend money because I believe we are spending incredible amounts of money on mental health and we're just not getting anywhere with it by asking services that aren't designed to be mental health services to do that work. Right. Mm -hmm. Our police officers have to respond to mental health issues constantly. Our criminal justice system is warehousing people because of mental health issues. You know, we are, we are directing this isn't about money for me. We are directing resources at this problem. it's They're just not going to the heart of the problem or making the right difference for people in these situations. So when I think about resources, I like the idea that the 21st Century Cures Act contemplates of the federal funding being primarily focused on research that communities can use and implement. Mm-hmm. Because I do think different communities have different sets of issues and different infrastructure to address those issues. So I love the idea of federal research establishing best practices and guidelines and being sort of a laboratory to test how could this work in a community setting. That seems intelligent and like it has the possibility to really work
1: well and i think that you know let me also preface this we don't understand mental health still (laughs) we we don't understand the brain at all like i would say with brain stuff like it's like darts at a board see what sticks like we we just don't get it and the 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 small parts of it we do understand look i am a person who considers myself progressive and open-minded and incredibly empathetic to mental health issues. And I still find myself thinking like, why don't you just stop doing drugs? You know what I mean? Like it's so hard. And I've been trying to dial back my sugar thing, my sugar consumption. And I was thinking like, man, like anybody who doesn't understand addiction should try not to eat sugar. Just try Mm -hmm. it for like a week. You know, like it's hard. So I think that that's part of it. It's like, we just have such an antiquated idea of mental health and the way the brain works. And, the you know, we don't really understand the mental health component and genetics of obesity, much less like, you know, rare mental illnesses or like schizophrenia and stuff like that. So, I mean, that, it's just, again, such a big ball of stuff to sort out here.
0: One of the most powerful experiences I had in college, our sociology professor took us to Eastern State Hospital, which is a mental health services hospital. It is focused primarily, I think, on sort of rehabilitative services now. When we were there, it was a very, you know, people weren't receiving bad care and the conditions weren't bad, but you didn't walk through it thinking, hey, here's a place I'd like to spend any time. And at the end of the tour, we were sitting in a room sort of processing what we had seen. And he said, everyone, close your eyes for a second and think about the dreams that you have. The only difference between you and the people here is your ability to label those dreams as dreams. That's it. Mm. Your capacity for that label is all that separates you and these folks. And that capacity can come and go. And it was just really a great way to frame up what we're talking about Mm -hmm. and to create a real sense of empathy and a real sense of these people aren't others. (laughs) You know, this is just a thing that happens to our brains and and that's okay.
1: Yeah. Well, and there's a really, I mean, I have several listeners have sent this to me and if you haven't heard it, we'll definitely put it in the show notes. Invisibilia did an amazing podcast on mental health Um, through the lens of a woman who went to get the country wrong i think it was sweden it's it's the place that the patron saint of mental health like had her vision or whatever like that's like her place and so people come as like a mecca to this place i think and then this town basically has like foster care for mentally ill people and they just people all over this town just let mentally ill people live with them and i'm talking like 20 30 years right and it was so powerful the way they talked about like when you when somebody who is not because the problem so often is mental health with the closing of our mental health institutions and the holes within our mental health care system is that it falls to the families and the, the invisibilia producer had a mentally ill sister and she uses that as the framework to talk about the care in this town and how when it's your family you just want to fix the person right you just want it's, this is a problem to be fixed which makes the person feel like they are a problem to be fixed mm-hmm. and why it's so difficult for families to deal with mental health processes. just like, you know, it's like whenever your family wants to help you with something, you're it's, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's genetic. I don't know the evolutionary purpose for this, but like it infuriates me when my mom wants to help me with something. <laughs> like I have no reason why. And like, so if you, you know, up the ante on that, like there was a really interesting t- statistics. They talked about somebody who is released f- who has schizophrenia, is much will do much better in outpatient care like a halfway house than if they're released into the care of their family like the recidivism rate drops dramatically if they go to like a halfway house and so what they found in this town is because these people are just living with strangers basically those strangers are trying to fix them they just let them be them now that is not to say if somebody is having you know violent hallucinations that we're just like oh you just do you that's not what that point is but like you know, we don't allow, my friend and I were talking about this, and I've experienced this so much with my youngest son, Felix, who had an in utero stroke, that we don't allow in our country for sort of any side, anything outside the, the norm, the perfection, right? Everybody follow this path, whether it's chronic um, pain, or cancer, or mental health, or any of these things, and this is sort of a breakthrough I had at Vox, like, it's just, it's the opposite side of that, but like, we don't, we don't allow for that. We don't have any tools within our society or sort of societal understanding that it's okay to think differently or see things differently or behave differently to, we don't let, there's just no sort of foundation for that. And I think that's what that special thing that town has found, which is an ability to just make room for people to be different. And the woman, the American woman who came and found this town has gone back and she has a place in New York City where it's like rent controlled, but like 40% of the building has mental health problems. And so it's sort of like you kind of understand, like, if you're going to live in this building for this low rent, you're going to have people to watch out for, sort of. It's just like It's not like you sign on a dotted line. It's just sort of this understanding that this is what's going to happen and it's been very successful. It's like we just we have to find a way for that, right?
0: I completely agree. I think that obsession with perfection is why we as a society lack foundational coping skills and foundational sort of emotional intelligence. And we've decided that it's not just unacceptable to have something outside of what people would consider the norm or perfection, we can't even be uncomfortable. Right. And that's part of what I think has led to the rampant prescription drug addiction in our country that we've Mm -hmm. gotten to this place where we think and, and it's so interesting how we're more comfortable with the idea that something might be physically wrong in the brain that we can treat with a pharmaceutical than with the idea that something might be going on that just requires someone else to teach us new skills. The stigma is so layered and extraordinary in a lot of ways.
1: Well, and I think that you know my sort of breakthrough at Vox was my personal opinion is that we can't allow for any sort of variance because we the the foundation we're missing is the ability to caregiv.e the value that we don't see the value of caregiving that we don't teach all of our children, no matter how old they are or what gender they are, that caregiving is valuable and something everyone will engage with and dis- a need at some point in their life. Like to me, like that's sort of like the missing puzzle piece, right? Is we teach everybody, look, like I have this fundamental problem with the idea that I should tell my children that they should go off and live their dreams and they owe nothing to me. I don't, feel like that. (laughs) When I get sick, I fully expect them to come back and help take care of me. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. In the same way that I expect to take care of my parents and my grandmother, like this is the fundamental human agreement that we're sort of trying to opt out of in our modern age. And I don't really understand why or why it's desirable. Like Caregiving is important. Caregiving of your family is important. Now, look, you know, I have good relationships. I'm not saying everybody should take care of their parents. Like, if your parent is abusive, cut them out of your life. Like, I get it. But, you know, I I don't have any problem looking at my sons and saying, we have a familial love relationship, which is the under of is that I care for you now and you care for me later because that's the human condition and it's valuable to you know if I thought that it was just a burden on them I don't but I I wouldn't ask that of them but I don't think caregiving is purely burden. being a mother their mother is not just a burden to me you know so I don't understand I feel like we've lost some component of that and that's sort of what's like undergirding this whole issue of not allowing people to be sick or be different or be outside this normal quote-unquote situation.
0: Well, I do think increased support and resources for caregiving is an important part of this puzzle because to your point earlier about how uncomfortable it makes us to think about people not living independently, you know, supported caregiving is a key to allowing people to have as much individual liberty as possible. Right. But we have to give caregivers resources. I think about the time that many individuals in my family have given care to someone with Alzheimer's or serious Mm -hmm. dementia and how love doesn't get it done.
1: Right. Love
0: is a part of it. But that is a full time job for which you need some training. Mm -hmm. And that is the kind of focus for resources that I would like to see. How can we enable people to be caregivers, not just in supporting them through their personal economic situations, time away from work and flexibility at work so that they can do this and still support themselves and the folks for whom they're providing care, but also how to give the care. Right. Mm -hmm. Where can I go and get some training if I have a child with schizophrenia beyond Mm -hmm. some support groups, which are enormously valuable. But can can we start to shore up our community resources for caregivers? I I think you're on to something there.
1: Well, and I think that it's like what I'm talking about is a paradox. Right. Because everything is a paradox. (laughs) I simultaneously believe that we have to stop thinking of caregiving as something we can totally outsource. Like, it's just not working. And at the same time, believe that we have to stop asking exactly what you're doing too. Like, that we've, we've almost um, put it too much on the families and, like, closed all these institutional supports and don't have good institutional systems. Like, I have a complicated view here and then I think both things are true. And I guess I think what my issue is with regards to sort of what I'm talking about, like, you can't outsource it. I think that if all of us don't accept that in some part of our life like i was thinking the other day nobody should be president if they've never changed a diaper like that should be a requirement like i feel like we cuz it just speaks to something right like i think everyone as a human being everyone like our our fundamental raising as we say in the south should cover the idea that at some point in your life you will wipe another person's butt okay like that's just the human condition We we will care for one another. You will be, someone will wipe your butt and you will most likely wipe someone else's butt. And if we can just start there and move up, maybe we could get, if we could understand the value of that and the importance of that and the essential nature of being a human being, living among other human beings, then maybe we could move forward and understand the complexities of institutional support and community tools and all these things to where we can get, we can have everything working to the good.
0: And maybe that goes hand in hand with starting to pull back from this perfection obsession Mm -hmm. that I Mm -hmm. think drives a lot of our issues. Are there serious mental illnesses that are purely chemical and biological? Absolutely. And those require intensive resources that, that do have medical components. For many of our mental health issues, though, I think we have created an environment where it's difficult to be honest about them, where it's difficult to seek any support for them. Mm -hmm. And perhaps if we valued caregiving more, it would naturally, because if you don't learn anything else from being a parent, I think that you learn that you only control so much and that life is just not linear. Right. Yep. And, and that would, that would help. So perfect world. What would, if we had just a blank slate today, what would mental health care look like? Well, I think
1: it would look a lot like San Antonio. I think that that is, if I'm waving a wand, like let me tell you how excited I was when I went to talk to our mental health professionals at Paducah and they said, yeah, we train our police officers once a quarter in mental health emergencies and now ha- not how to escalate the situation. Like such a basic thing. Oh, it makes me so happy it's already happening. Yay, Paducah Police Department. Like stuff like that. Like that's the... If I'm wait, that's where I'm going to start, right? Let's just, at the very least, let's stop exasperating the situation. And then it's something, like I said, like a changing societal value on caregiving and how that interacts with mental health, I think, is so powerful.
0: So I agree with those things. I would add on a couple of things. I think mental health parity is a good start, but inadequate I think that a lot of our physical health care spending would go down if we were more proactive in our mental health care spending.
1: Mm-hmm. So I
0: would love to see insurance plans cover much more therapy. Look, truly, yeah. in my heart, I believe that everyone ought to see a counselor every two weeks. I just think Gotta. it would be a happier. I mean better, two weeks is a lot, society. but i'll give you I'll give you once a month for sure. yeah. I, think I love therapy.
1: I'm not embarrassed to say I go to therapy. I love therapy,
0: therapy too. Absolutely. I, th- I see it as just continued education in life, mm-hmm. right? Continued education in emotional well-being. You work on your body at the gym. You work on your brain in therapy. That's how I feel Well,
1: and let it. me just tell, let me just put a little plug in here for all of our listeners who are sort of rolling their eyes. Maybe not because we have very enlightened listeners, but you just don't understand the difference between sharing your heart with your best friend and sharing your heart with a professional who is legally obligated not to judge you until you do it. I just really can't recommend it enough.
0: And the other thing I would say about it is, and this goes to that sense of stigma again, you don't have to have something wrong to have therapy be enormously valuable. I think that my capacity to cope when something truly is wrong is greatly enhanced by seeing a therapist when nothing is wrong.
1: Because
0: you're just building you're building all these support structures in your own heart and mind as mm-hmm. you go along. And so I would love to see that be a really pervasive value. And I absolutely believe that it would decrease the cost of healthcare in this country if we did that. I oh, yeah. also think schools are a place to teach values and coping skills. And anything that we can do in schools to get students in the routine of talking about their feelings. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and seeking help when something goes wrong. My daughter came home this week. I was so excited about this. She came home doing this cheer. You failed. Keep moving forward. And she did it over (laughs) and over and over again. And I thought you just learned something more valuable in school than I ever did in all of my years of education.
1: Oh, shout out to Rosie the Revere, the engineer, that book with the failing and the keep going and the make me cry every time.
0: It was so great. And then we made cake pops the other night for the first time. And Jane goes, mommy, you failed when my cake pop (laughs) collapsed on the lollipop. Keep moving forward. (laughs) I was like, I love this. Um, So I think that. And then I think that a partnership, and I don't even want to take this to public private. I think that's probably appropriate. But to me, again, it's not about the money because we're already spending public money on this. But it's about bringing the right minds together to create good structures for mental health services. Something that I thought Debbie said in her primer notes that was really insightful is that great clinicians don't necessarily translate to great organizational leaders. And so how can we bring together our greatest clinicians with our greatest organizational leaders to ensure sustainable, well-run family-focused, customer service-oriented mental health care. That's such a good
1: point. It's just so such different skills.
0: Yeah. And that happens in a lot of industries. Mm -hmm. But with all of the other barriers to great mental health care we have, it's, I think, particularly problematic in this sector. Right. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your canopy-filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you.
1: So if any of you guys have um, illustrative experiences within the mental health system or questions or um, ideas observations which i'm sure you will because you're all super brilliant send them our way and we'll talk about them we'll share with everybody on friday's briefcase
0: okay in the heels today i can't remember how we got to this do you remember how we got to this sarah that we wanted to do our senior superlatives um there was something about me
1: talking
0: That I like to
1: talk, and that's how it came up that I got most talkative. But I don't remember what we were originally talking about. But everybody, sit down. From shock,
0: I got most talkative,
1: (laughs) and biggest apple polisher in eighth grade. Superlative.
0: Oh, what's that mean? Is that like Like, a suck up kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, like suck up.
1: I mean, my my name and my nickname in law school was Gunner because I was like always gunning for the
0: answers. So my, I had to have my mom get my yearbook out. I couldn't remember what mine were. It was a very small school, so I had to. I was most studious, surprising exactly no one, and I was also most likely to be rich and famous, which kind of made me feel like I've probably let my county down or something. Right? As mm, I rich sit and here famous is intense. 30, so Why wasn't it just most likely to succeed? I have no idea. It was most likely to be rich and famous, and I, and that's pressure.
1: I don't like that you need to call up your school and make sure they're not doing that still
0: yeah I don't feel invested enough in it to make that phone call but I hear you <laughs> <laughs> um
1: so I really wanted most likely to succeed and if I'm being honest I'm still sort of bitter that I didn't get it I'm still carrying that around with me because it's like super productive to carry around the fact that you didn't win the superlative you wanted but that's where I'm at I didn't want most talkative I, did, I was so, I was kind of pissed about it
0: Sarah, I just have to say, walking through life with most studious, it's probably why I've blocked it out, right? No. (laughs) Who wants that? But here Uh, I said. But my school is so small. See, we had, I think ours was called most intellectual. I like that a little
1: better. Yeah, your names suck, man. I'm telling you, you're, that, you should be invested about that. Think about all the girls, because you know they're, you know, it's a boy and a girl for each one who's, like, carrying the burden of most studious shouldn't be come up and be like listen first of all rich and famous is something successful that means
0: jack shit change the name and studious make it intellectual it's tough but it was such a small school i we walked into my parents house a couple of weekends ago and they have this room with all of the awards i won in high school like hanging in these shadow boxes which is amazing i guess lovely that my parents Still celebrate that about me. It makes me feel a little bit weird now. But on the wall, we walked past my calculus award, and Chad sort of looked at me and I said, I know, like small school, just very, very small school. Can I just say that this definitely is not so, my skill.
1: Um, reflective? Because, first of all, the second I got out of college, my mom was like, Come get your shit now. <laughs> I'm an only child. She lives in a big ass house, but she was like, No, come get your stuff. Nothing was hanging up. It's not like she had to take it hang off the wall, first of all. Everything was in boxes, and she was like, Here you go, get it out of here. um But I have all my yearbooks. I, that's the first thing. I was like, Why are your yearbooks at your parents' house? All my yearbooks on my shelf, kindergarten through 12th grade. I take the f- fact that it is a complete set very seriously.
0: Nicholas has like three. I'm like, That is outrageous. Where are the rest of your yearbooks? All my yearbooks are. I think my parents have a complete set, but it's all at my parents' house. I don't know. Of course, now I'm, I've
1: got to start buying, like, two, three copies of every damn yearbook.
0: I'm just not a very sentimental person.
1: and I'm uh-huh. <laughs> sentimental.
0: <laughs> um, and, and I don't know. I, I really appreciate that my parents are, but I, I don't have that in me. I don't remember Well, I'm not a sentimental of, because it's not
1: like I look back on high school and i was like, oh, high school was the best. High school was not the best. High school was super lame. But, like there's there's like a I've got like a historian completist bent like I have every Christmas card Nicholas and I have sent for 13 years and it, when I line them all up every year and I like put them on my little Christmas card wreath and they're all there like I cannot tell you the joy that brings to me like I just like have it I like just knowing that I have like a complete record of things it just really it touches something deep inside me
0: I think that's lovely that you do that Mm, I love and it. I don't feel inadequate that I don't <laughs> <laughs> like. I, like if I had like a set of yearbooks
1: and was like missing a few years, I mean I would be hunting them down eBay. I couldn't take it. I could not stand it. I literally put my Christmas cards every year. I put them up for Christmas and then I take them down and I put them in a fireproof safe. I'm not kidding.
0: Well, I do like that everything is digital now because I feel like yeah, you're going, going to record. lose things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't. I don't think that much about stuff. I, I don't know. It's just not my thing.
1: I get it from my great aunt. My great aunt was like our family historian. I guess she rubbed off on me. She was like always the one forcing people to take pictures. She was the one that like I'm an ancestry person. I know all my ancestry. Like that, all that. And but it's and I don't know if it's because I have a te- I have a terrible just personal memory. Like I would not have been right including citations in my letter from Birmingham Jail. Like I have a crappy, crappy memory as far as like this happened like my friends in high school be like remember that and this happened I'm like no not even a little bit do I remember that so maybe that's why I have that drive
0: I have a terrible memory too the only thing of mine that I have hung on to and that's like at my house not my parents is this folder of all of my writing like I've been writing poems and stories since I was in like elementary school and that stuff I have and would be very sad to lose yeah I
1: have all my I mean I have paper stuff I should get rid of but I do have all that like journals all my
0: high school journals
1: they're so fraught they're so amazing
0: yeah I have a lot of teenage angst in my little box for sure yeah so good I love it so much I have my, And I have my amazing,
1: I have a list from eighth grade of all the things I wanted to accomplish in my life. And I started to check some of them off. It all started because this is a great story and I will rec- I'll include this blog post in our show notes. So in my eighth grade self, I was going to win like a Tony and M- I was going to get EGOT. I was going to go full Tony, Oscar, Emmy, um, Grammy. I was going to sing with Whitney Houston. I was going to walk a Paris runway. I was going to have a butler. I had big dreams, big dreams, eighth grade Sarah. But one of them was to meet Dean Kane because at the time I was super obsessed with Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Lois and Clark. No, Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. I don't know Terry. Terry. Um. Oh, what's her last name? She was Hatch. In- Terry Sorry. Hatch and Dean Kane. Dean Kane was Superman. Super fine, right? Okay, so I live about five minutes from Metropolis, Illinois, which is Superman's hometown, Metropolis. And I kept thinking, like, it's sort of in the back of my head. I thought, why does he never come? Surely he'll come. So, like, um, I guess it was two 2000- thousand. 13 maybe he came he came to the superman festival in metropolis and i got to meet him and y'all okay so many things i brought my list and showed it to him he gave me the best we have to use this picture i know it has we probably shouldn't it's disrespectful to our conversation about mental health care but we had to find a way for everyone to see this picture of me and dinkane it is like we are soulmates the bear hug this man gave me he is still <laughs> so exceptionally fine it was an amazing hug he was so delighted that I brought this list. He signed. He wanted to check it off. So he checked off the meet Dean in my little eighth grade list. He signed the list. He and the some guy was like snapping pictures the whole time. So not only do I have a picture of the hug, but I have a picture of like him exclaiming and him signing. It was, I mean, it was like one of the top ten experiences of my life. I'm not even kidding. I love that story. We and I have three children. I have three children and a husband. So that's four. But top ten. Oh, my God. It's, it was amazing. It was amazing. Can, I can still like, you should see the
0: ridiculous grin on my face when I think about it. <sighs> Such a good story. Such a good story. I can't think of what I wanted out of life in eighth grade. I know that everyone thought I would be a judge someday. I think that my mom is probably still kind of disappointed that I'm like, realistically not going to be on the Supreme Court at any time. You'd be a good judge thanks I don't know if I would like it but I mean I could do it I guess I this is what I've concluded about myself I'm just sort of restless I was talking to <laughs> someone the other day who was telling me that she was building her forever house and like I physically started to get uncomfortable with that idea like I, yeah, I don't do that to feel that's trapped. just
1: my I mean my grandmother was 85 87 and she looked my great-grandmother and she looked at my grandmother and said
0: I wish I could do one more house.
1: Like, that's just not a thing that's in my genetic code, the idea that you would, like, live in a forever home. No.
0: And I think I feel like that with everything. I think it's part of why I just sort of moved on from – my elementary school my hometown my college now like i'm not into reunions i'm not like i'm not really i'm just ready to go to the next thing i'm always like what's the next thing i tell i tell chad every day can we just move somewhere let's just move i'll go visit maine i love maine let's go live in maine but you know (laughs) but i kind of feel like i've done western kentucky right like i just want to go all kinds of places i i married someone who is not restless um (laughs) And so it's probably a good thing that he sort of tempers me in that way. He'll travel all day, but he kind of likes our the roots that we've put down here in Cincinnati. And it's a great place to live. But I'm like this about my career. I'm constantly like, no, I think I want to go back to school. Or what if I could do this? Or what if I could do that? It's I'm, I'm like an untethered balloon. Except,
1: except you have two mind. kids.
0: Except that I have some tethers
1: yeah Yeah. lots all the tethers that's how nicholas is i feel like he like he gets these modes where he's like i'm gonna hike the appalachian trail and i'm like that's adorable scale that dream down friend. scale it down
0: (laughs) He should totally do that that's not dude that's like
1: a six month thing we do have the guy in our town who's like redoing the coke plan a really cool guy ed musselman who he did that he like hiked the whole thing but he was like 20 now he has three kids he's not doing it now
0: it's hard though when you're constantly like watering down. You know, so my crazy things are like I got my yoga teacher certification and I took a creative writing class, I do this podcast, like but those are pretty like tame ways to go about it when you have this tendency, I think. So I, I feel for Nicholas. Like, go go hike that trail, Nicholas, do it. Y'all go together. Just take the podcasting equipment. Yeah. Hiking is not hiking is not for me. But she's hey, like, Nope, nope, not restless that way. Forget <laughs> it. <laughs> I have other versions of that. Like You know, maybe culinary school or something, but... I would do it. Like, I think it sounds super cool. Like, I could get a wild, like, Cheryl Strayed and, like, go for the hike. All right. Well, thanks for joining us for another episode of Fancy Politics. We would love to hear your senior superlatives if you would like to share them on social media. Thank you again for all of your iTunes reviews and gold star to Bren for giving us a second iTunes review. I feel like that's deserving of some praise. We'll be back with you on Friday to talk about feedback and whatever craziness unfolds this week. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all.